0: Welcome to Grails, a podcast by Alton Insights. My name's John Tunger and on today's episode, we are joined by Vasu Kalkarni. He's a partner at Courtside Ventures. They're a venture capital firm that focuses on investing in early stage founders in the sports, fitness, and gaming spaces. In this episode, we talk about everything from how he and his firm are thinking about the alternative asset space to his love for investing in watches and how everything is becoming an investable asset, even things like digital horses. That's right, digital horses. Let's get started when it comes to building your life around things that you're passionate about Vasu has to be one of the most successful people I've ever talked to. He took his love for basketball and tech and combined them into a startup called Crossover. They took in-game sports film and organized it into easy-to-digest analytics for coaches and players. And in 2019, they were acquired by Huddle. Then Vasu joined Courtside Ventures, where he's now a managing partner, investing in sports, gaming, and fitness companies. Now, from that, you'll probably take, okay, this guy loves sports, but that seems like a bit of an understatement. He self-proclaimed the biggest basketball fan out there, and I quote from his Twitter profile that he loves basketball more than you ever loved anything. And I gotta admit, he pitches a strong case. Well, you know, I've been a a lifelong sports fan, primarily basketball.
1: I, I consider myself to be the biggest basketball fan in the world and usually when i say that i am met with skepticism and people say ah, you know i i know some guys i'm fairly certain you're not the biggest basketball fan and i'll say well uh did you uh did you have your sister's wedding date moved because it would coincide with the final four Uh, and usually the answer to that is a resounding no. And then people stop questioning whether or not I am the biggest basketball fan in the world. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) wait, what, what, what series was that? Who's your team?
1: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a player guy, not a team guy. So, I mean, growing up, I was obsessed with Jordan and the bulls, like biggest Jordan fan ever, um, would, would literally, when I was, when I was six years old, I would cry and and throw things in, in my house. Apparently if, if the bulls lost a game and so I've been obsessed since then unfortunately i i was born here but i grew up in india where we did not get that many games and so my my dad would travel for business and we would have people here record vhs tapes of bulls games for us and so i would watch bulls games like six months after they occurred uh, no on my way. vcr in india and and that's how i learned to play the game of basketball was essentially watching Jordan on VHS, and I still have those VHS tapes. I wonder if I can if I can make an NFT out of them now and uh, make make some money. Uh, I think the NBA might have some some issues with that, but
0: uh, I, I still got wow. those
1: back home in India.
0: <laughs> hey, I don't even know if that needs to be an NFT, like uh, a recorded yeah, game might... <laughs> like that. Maybe mean, that might just be a good collectible on its own, you know. <laughs> so you have this obvious love for basketball. You go and you start a company based on giving basketball teams better analytics. That company exits. Now you're part of Courtside Ventures. That's all about investing in sports, fitness, gaming. At what point did the segment of collectibles and alternative assets make its way onto Courtside's radar?
1: So we were the first money in StockX uh, out of our first fund. And you know at the time, I don't think anyone, and certainly not even us, looked at sneakers as collectibles we you know we saw them as something that had utility you buy them to put them on your feet and walk around and i think that front row seat to seeing the rise of StockX go from you know a tiny little company in detroit to probably has a chance to be a a multi 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 multi-billion dollar company in the public markets when they go public this year next year whenever that happens and it all was because of the fact that people buy these sneakers not necessarily to wear them instantly they buy them to resell them that's what drives that marketplace and i've you know i've been a watch collector for close to a decade and i've seen the exact same thing happen there where wristwatches went from being something you used to tell time to an asset class and a store of right. wealth and something that people buy because you know that if you can get access to the good stuff you can sell that damn near immediately for two x three x, and you know the 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 dollars that you're talking with watches are many many standard deviations from the 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 dollar figures you're talking about with with sneakers right with sneakers you're buying two hundred dollar pair of sneakers you're selling them for five hundred to a thousand with watches you know you're buying a, a twenty thousand dollar watch and you can resell that for seventy five thousand a hundred thousand dollars. you're making serious money and and so I think for us. StockX was the start of it. Um, certainly trading cards and memorabilia over the course of the the last year to year and a half was another reason for us to get into it. And then just my years spent looking at the watch industry and then now NFTs and everything going with digital collectibles. I think for us, we we sort of looked at the collectible space and said, you know, there's obvious offshoots of it coming out of the sports world with things like sneaker culture and trading cards and memorabilia but just broadly speaking collectibles is an area that we believe the next generation is going to be spending a lot of their time and money because it's more fun to invest in things like trading cards and watches and handbags than it is to uh, do the equity research that you need to do to invest in stocks necessarily. And frankly, let's be honest, there are no more fundamentals left in the stock market either anyway. So you know <laughs> right. what is the difference between speculating on Tesla and speculating on a watch when ultimately you're gonna have more fun with that watch and it, it actually gives you some, some level of pleasure and joy in owning it and wearing it as compared to Tesla stock, which is, you know what do you do with that? You, you don't really have fun with it.
0: Right. I mean, I mean, some of the best example, I I always love to bring up bonds, like at the end of the day, sit someone down and talk to them about how does a bond work or how does a bond ETF work and why their money's in there? And they're just like, well, because it's supposed to be like how long until people turn that corner and say, you know, what, I actually understand this and I get this. I want to put my money right there.
1: I I, I totally agree. I think. um you know i i don't I've never bought a bond in my life i'm sure my parents did but like if you if you asked me where to even start to buy a bond I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you and i'm a, I'm a fairly sophisticated investor i don't know shit about bonds i don't want to know shit about bonds, but you ask me how you can make money buying and selling watches, and i'll talk to you for the next six hours about it
0: right. Okay, so I would love to hear even some companies that you guys are really excited about that you've invested in, if you can talk about that, um, as you see the space evolving, and maybe like why you you took bets on some of them.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things that I'm super excited about is fractional. Um, and obviously, you know, the Alton team has been uh, has been instrumental in, in that industry for the past year and in, in calling all the data and putting out great information. But I, the beginning. I've been obsessed, yeah, and I've been obsessed with with fractional since day one. You know, I looked at Rally Road. I looked at Otis in the very early days. Um ultimately, I got super excited about a company called Dibs that launched about a month ago and the fact that they were the first ones to go from securitizing these assets to saying, well, We don't think they're securities these are tokens that we can we we can essentially tokenize the physical asset hold them in a vault and allow you to trade fractional portions of those tokens that represent the underlying trading cards on a fully liquid exchange 24 by 7 and to me that was a game changer because i mean and i love rally and otis and collectible and all the other fractional platforms in this space i spend a lot of money on all of their platforms frankly almost everything that they drop on a daily basis i go in and i buy a couple hundred bucks worth of shares in them because i generally believe that they're they're good investments especially at a yeah. time like now where there's hyperinflation potentially coming interest rates are low makes sense to buy physical assets so i'm i'm excited about what those guys are doing but what i also thought was you know ultimately the the unique part about trading cards unlike almost all the other sort of alternative assets out there is the fact that oftentimes the value of these cards is tied to player performance which means that on a daily basis a card can go up or go down in value and that creates inherent volatility and that makes it far more exciting to collect and buy and sell than say a vintage ferrari which is probably only going one way it's going up in value but it's going up in value relatively slowly um, but with cards i think you've got this player performance piece that adds to the excitement and so i got super excited about that company ended up leading around in their in their uh, business last year and when they launched i mean they've, they've been putting up just monster numbers in a very short period of time so that's one in particular on the fractional side that i'm really excited about
0: i'm just so excited to see how that market gets divvied up. It's almost now a market within a market where what players are sort of like the safe blue chip investments and then which ones are the long shot day trading stock options almost. Like, hey, if this right. guy goes off in a game and catches some crazy touchdown or you know whatever, how does his stock get affected? And we haven't really seen that yet. I, that's the type of data that I'm really excited to collect and start watching how performance in the moment affects the price of a card. Totally, and I think that can
1: only be done when you sort of have uh, a fully liquid exchange where it's actually possible to have real-time bids and asks and it's, it's you're not reliant on there being a person on the other side of that trade that is buying the entire card, right? Because if you're talking about a LeBron James rookie, you know, a PSA 10 rookie card, let's call it, is $100,000 today. Well. You know, you, if if you are expecting somebody to be on the other side of a hundred thousand dollar trade, there, there aren't that many people in the world that can be on the other side of that trade at any given time. But fractional allows for there to always be someone on the other side of that trade because you're talking not a hundred thousand dollars, you're talking potentially five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars in transactions. And that's what gets me super excited about just the entire... Fractional space and what it represents, not just for cards, but for everything out there. Um, when, when, when you're talking about alternative assets and making them more approachable and affordable to everyone, you know, I always joked every time I bought a watch, I wish I had the money to buy two of them because I would buy one to keep because I want it in my collection, but I would buy the other one knowing. That this thing's going to be worth two x, three x, four x in a years in, in a couple of years time, and I'm it's going to break my heart to have to sell the one that okay. I I actually want in my collection. But if I had the second one, I'd be able to sell that, and frankly, I would I would recoup all of my money and more of what I paid for the original. But you know, I'm never 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 have the liquidity to do that. And I think what fractional allows you to do in in a perfect world is have exactly that kind of setup where i can go buy the thing that i actually want for my collection but meanwhile i can put a little bit of money into the exact same asset in the form of a fractional piece of it and hopefully write up the stock and and recoup some of the money that i use that that i spent on on the piece that's actually in my collection um so that that's another dynamic that once the fractional marketplace really becomes large and literally every item on earth is available to be bought in fractional shares, it starts to allow for some really cool things to
0: happen. I would love to hear your thoughts on the fractional market, maybe what categories you think could be good opportunities, not formal financial advice, right? We're just spitballing. Uh, But like you're talking (laughs) about watches, but watches are getting pretty hammered compared to sports cards, right? Right now, everything except sports cards is kind of seeing a bit of a decline that's a very general statement but what are different assets that you're looking at when you're looking either on rally road or buying something in an auction for your personal collection that you think could be an opportunity
1: i i would i would say the exact opposite about watches i i mean if you if you look at potentially the few watches that were put onto the fractional platforms that are out there today they've not performed well but i would argue that it's because the platforms either chose poorly on what watches to put up there uh or they just did a poor job of marketing them i don't know which one it is uh, I'll, I'll allow you know no no comment like they can figure out what they did wrong but um on on the uh, on the flip side like if you know what you're doing on 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 watches you're talking about watches that have gone from Being worth a hundred grand to now, they're trading for five hundred thousand dollars. You're talking about four hundred thousand dollars of in profit profit over the course of the last eighteen months. I mean, the only thing that rivals that is like a Jordan rookie card and and super rare one of one, you know, RPAs from the best players in the league. Like there are certainly a lot of cards that that do rival those types of returns, but honestly with watches uh, if you know what you're doing it is bananas how much money there is in that space so i actually think that from a fractional standpoint if somebody knew what they were doing there would be a massive opportunity with watches
0: yeah even for like a niche platform just to focus on that because yeah it's like it seems like they really have taken a back burner to the rest of the collectibles
1: absolutely um I just think that it's a, a function of there not being someone who's focused on it, right? I think if you're if you're sort of a g- generalist platform and you have a bunch right. of things on there, then you're only going to do one or two watches a year. Um, you know, the watch community is it, it's got its own idiosyncrasies, and I'm deep in that world. But I do know for a fact that almost everybody in the watch community always thinks about sort of the the investment side of this every watch you buy you're always thinking in the back of your mind like okay do i think this is going to sell for over retail do i think it's going to sell for under retail am i wow. buying it right should i need to ask for a discount should i buy it second hand because it's going to trade because i can buy it for 20 percent off now or do i buy it at retail so like there's all these interesting dynamics that don't really hold true for things like trading cards because like, the way you buy trading cards is it's one of two ways either you buy a pack and you hope you get lucky or you know you sort of buy a graded card on ebay or somewhere else and by then it it's invariably marked up because the there is no retail price for a card you only buy packs so there's there's never a set value to act as a baseline for a trading card but that doesn't hold true for a number of the other assets right same thing with sports memorabilia there is no base price for a game worn jersey because that doesn't exist like that. It's not a manufactured right. item. And so the it, it's sort of what will the market bear that sets the floor for a particular item. But with watches, handbags, for example, there is a retail price and that item could have either been bought below retail or it could have been bought at retail. And then what happens on the secondary market in many ways affects how people think about the brand itself and whether they're even gonna go and buy anything else from that brand at retail or whether they're always just gonna wait for it to be marked down on the secondary market and buy it at 20% off. But then what you now have going on is a number of dealers that essentially collude and they say, okay, here's a brand that we think is super undervalued. There's 10,000 of these pieces sitting on the secondary market. Let's buy them all up. And let's trickle them back into the market very, very slowly at fifty percent, sixty percent over what we paid for them. So there's a lot of that that goes on in the watch world, which you know I'm not sure how much of that is going on in the trading card world. To be honest, there might be some of it going on, but I, I haven't uh, I haven't seen too much of like the the cornering of the market on a particular player by a, a handful of dealers, and then you know attempting to drive the price up.
0: At least not yet. This is fascinating. You I have got nothing to prove here. I don't know about watches and the intricacies of that market. Take me to school. If I'm if I'm new as I am, where do I even start?
1: Well, I would say don't start in the watch world unless you want to buy these things because you love them and you want to wear them. That's the first thing I'll I'll always say. Because the reality is where the watch industry is today. The stuff that you know for sure is going up 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 it is impossible to get it like you can't get it it's like getting something from supreme like whatever their hottest drop is it's like right. assuming you're going to be able to buy that at retail it's not happening like there's already a number of backdoor deals that have been cut with every store by dealers and by by vip clients who've spent 10 million dollars with the brand so like wow. you're not going to get anything zero like literally zero is what you're going to be able to get so if you're going to play in the watch game you know i say buy stuff that you love from small independent brands and with with the hope very very, very much the way someone may buy art from an upcoming artist because they believe in that person and they think hey one i'm supporting the artist today and I'm gonna get joy from owning this art. And oh, if they turn out to be Picasso in 50 years, I'm gonna make a killing. That's the way to think about watches. It's These things are, they're mechanical art. That's what they are. They're handmade pieces of mechanical art that you wear on your wrist and you're buying them to support the artisan craft of watchmaking. And if it just so happens that that's a brand that that goes bonkers in value, which happens all the time, then you got lucky and that's great and listen along the way i have lost a lot of money on watches i've made money on watches it all sort of evens out to be honest with you um if you're if you're not doing this as a business right which most of us we're not like i i truly buy watches because i love them and if it just so happens that one of them went up in value that's fantastic but i've always been someone who's only bought what i love so i've never bought a rolex right a rolex is the watch that everyone knows to me it's boring it's mass produced rolex makes close to a million watches a year it does nothing for me and therefore i've never bought a rolex yet as an investment buying a stainless steel rolex submariner or a daytona one of the best investments that you can make it only goes one direction and that's straight up but i'll never buy one because it it does nothing for me and i, I don't i just don't like them meanwhile you know i buy all these quirky weird independent brands that 99 percent of the world has never heard of because i think they're they're doing cutting edge stuff and and to me it, it speaks to me and i don't care whether i ever make a dollar on any of those watches because frankly i probably never want to sell them uh and and as, you know as the joke always goes in the watch industry you can't lose money if you don't sell it and you also you can keep counting all your paper games but if you never sell the watch then what what, what's the point of all the games that you got? Um, that's the way I think <laughs> right. about it. So for me, it's not, it's not about the money.
0: What is, is there like a small boutique watch brand that, that you're all about right now that people could check out if they wanted to? I would check out a brand called MBNF, Max Booser and friends,
1: um, and they are a Swiss brand uh that makes these things called horological machines and legacy machines they have two two sort of lines of their of their brand the legacy machines are a little bit more traditional like they look like watches at least you can tell that it's a watch when you look at one it's generally circular and it's got some crazy stuff going on but yeah you can generally tell it's a watch and then they're horological wow.
0: machines
1: man I'm on these website things right are... now.
0: this is crazy this is crazy <laughs> Yeah. I
1: I think that for, for someone to understand what's possible when you could have never imagined what's possible on a on a on on a contraption that you wear on your wrist, check out
0: MBNF because they'll blow your mind. I'm literally looking at a spaceship. Not like the analogy would be funny that it looks like a spaceship. It's literally a spaceship on a wrist. <laughs> this is uh <laughs> this thing is crazy. But yeah, small up and coming. They have one sold out that went for fifteen thousand dollars, and it looks like they go up to somewhere around.
1: Oh, they go up to about half a million dollars in in value. So yeah, they're 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 great, and they're you know to me they represent everything that's great about sort of the craft of watchmaking and and what's possible and. Um I think that this is a brand that's highly underappreciated and under- undervalued because of how quirky it is and that you know your a- your average Wall Street banker isn't going to walk down the street with an MB&F on his wrist. He's going to go buy a Rolex Daytona or a Submariner like every other Wall Street guy does and that's why you know there isn't there there is no mass market appeal for things like this but if you're a true watch connoisseur this is the coolest brand in the world to me.
0: So if you're looking to get a job at Courtside Ventures and you happen to walk into your interview with one of these watches, it might get you at least a second interview. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
1: I I could almost guarantee that.
0: So I want to go back to you. Even you talked about investing in Rally and on the different fractional platforms for someone like you. Does it get annoying when the share cap is something like a couple hundred dollars where if you really like an item you can't invest more into it
1: yeah um i i'd say I, I i'm it's a double-edged sword right on the one hand it's very annoying um when that cap is super low in the in the hundred to a couple hundred dollar range and it's like oh it's noon i've got all my alarms set i jump on and that's the most I can get, kind of annoying on the flip side. there's a lot of times when I'm in the middle of a zoom call at noon and I can't get on to rally right then, and i can I come in like ten minutes later and I know that if there had been no share cap, I would have had no chance of getting in on this thing because it would have been long gone, so you know for me, it's ah i'm not I'm not so rich that you know. Uh, Money is completely irrelevant, and I would be buying $10,000 of every drop? Absolutely not. I'm not that liquid, right? And so for me, I feel like it's been fun crafting a portfolio of a lot of these things. Would I have liked to be able to buy more? Absolutely. But I I get it, and I, I understand that in these early days, for these companies, it's about building up the customer base and having as many potential people available on the platform as possible and the only way you do that is to give everyone a chance to participate so I, I think they're doing the right thing and I think over time depending on what direction they go in terms of sort of you know, opening up uh, a lot more items and a lot more IPOs on a daily, weekly, monthly basis I, I see a world in which that cap either goes away or it gets it, it gets significantly higher than it is today. But I, I get why they're doing it. It's annoying sometimes, but you know, for the greater good of the entire fractional economy, I think it's the right move so that more people are able to participate. And listen, nobody, nobody is upset with getting any money and any gains in this world, right? So even if I only had50 dollars in something, and that thing trades for 3x, like, yes, $150 is meaningless to me, but it still gives me a little warm and fuzzy feeling when I see that the portfolio is up and something's trading. And so I think that that psychological effect of, hey, I made some money on this being possible for as many people as possible is actually a good thing.
0: You know, the conversation that everyone, every podcast right now always ends up at this Point right of NFTs, NBA Top Shot. <laughs> um, you even posted something though of like the the infinite objects. It's like the screen that basically highlights your NBA Top Shot moment, and it kind of like encapsulates yep. it right there. Would love to know your thoughts on how you think that affects the market, the future of the NFT market. Uh, what you're thinking?
1: I think I think NFTs are are you know one of the more fascinating things that we have come up with as humans. Um, I think that. There's a lot of hype right now. There's a lot of nonsense that's going to be sold. There's a lot of people who are going to put a lot of money into dumb stuff that has no long-term value under the guise of an NFT. And they'll quickly realize that, listen, all an NFT is a certificate of authenticity, right? Ultimately, you still have to have an asset that you are buying that is represented by that NFT that has some value to you. Either it has to have utility or it has to give you some sort of of joy the way art does in in owning something or you need to believe on the financial side that this is a financial instrument and so the way i look at it is this hype will die down but what will rise to the top will be the best digital artists the best ip like nba top shot where you've got hundreds of millions of fans around the world and only so many top shots. Like it makes complete sense that this thing will continue to rise in value for the most part. Now, you know, should a Bismack Biombo block be worth $5,000? Probably not because I don't think that there's anybody in their right mind who believes that that's worth $5,000. However, is a LeBron James one of 20 dunk worth $500,000, a million dollars, $20 million? Maybe, I, 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 for the best of the best in in any realm of collecting, right, whether it's wristwatches, handbags, sneakers, the best of the best, the premium stuff always does well. And so I fully expect to see the beeples of the world will continue to rise in value, the top shot stuff. I think every IP holder in the world right now is looking at this blueprint of what Dapper yeah, Labs was able to do with the NBA and going, how do we get into this game? Everybody is. I mean, I'm taking calls with with NBA players, with Olympians, with movie studios. Like everybody's reaching out saying, "How do we play in this world?" And I'll give you an anecdote. So I bought this piece of Kobe crypto art called uh, Forever Mamba about a month ago now on Nifty Gateway. I paid $900 for it. It's a video of Kobe Bryant in heaven shooting a basketball super cool. I'm a big Kobe guy. It was awesome. I didn't, know, I didn't know much about NFTs at the time. I wasn't really following the crypto art space. But for me, this was just a really cool collectible. And the fact that there was an NFT minted with it gave me the, the sort of confidence that I should buy this thing because it's on the blockchain. There's only 400 of them. And I know that it's worth something. It's not just a random digital file. So anyway, I buy this thing for 900 bucks and I send a link around to all my friends and I say, "Hey guys, look what I bought." My friends text me back. They go, "How much do you pay for that?" I said, uh, $900." They said, "You're a fucking moron." Uh, <laughs> and, and 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 they're like, "Why why would you pay why would you pay $900 for a for an MP4 file that can be replicated and can live on anyone's phone?" I said, "Clearly you guys don't get it." So I went to this to to Infinite Objects. This is a a company that uh, that we're investing in uh, but we, we weren't investing in it at the time I, I had just heard about it so i went to the infinite objects website and i bought an infinite object which is essentially a digital photo frame for lack of a better analogy but they they basically flash your crypto art one time to that frame and there's nothing else that lives on it there's no buttons there's no options there's nothing it's literally like you're buying a piece of art And there's just one piece of art that's been flashed to it and so i buy this thing it arrives the next day it's a magical experience you open the box it turns on by itself and the only thing on it is the kobe bryant video of him shooting a basketball in heaven and so i I record the video of me opening this box and the video on it and i send that out to the same set of friends and they all watch that video and they go oh shit, that's dope man how'd you get that and I'm like, you idiots, like I literally showed you the exact same file on your phone through a link. You told me I was an idiot. I put it on this third party physical device and all of a sudden you're enthralled. And and in that moment, a light bulb went off for me, which was the the idea that we as humans just put more value on physical goods than we do on digital. And I think this is short lived because I think the next generation is growing up in a world where they live in the metaverse they've been spending money on video games and buying items there for decades so for them the idea that a physical good and a digital good are not equal is not at all even entering their mind frankly they may believe that digital goods are worth more than physical goods but for where we are today as a society and and the fact that there's a lot of old people like us still around that grew up in in an analog era it can be hard to wrap our minds around this and that's why i'm so excited about a company like infinite objects because they're bridging the physical and the digital worlds and allowing you to own a a digital good but but display it in a physical way so that you still feel that that you know whether it's i need to feel something in my hand to believe it has value or you want to be able to flex it to show your friends what you own i think they solve a lot of those problems and and so I'm super excited about what that means. But look, in the long run, I think NFTs represent a great opportunity for a lot of IP holders to create new types of collectibles. I think it allows digital artists to actually make real revenue now as opposed to kind of putting work out there for free on the Internet and never quite getting what their fair share was because people would always say, well, why would I pay for it when I can just take a screenshot of it? Well, now there's a reason why you buy it because there's an NFT that comes with it and it makes you the only owner and you can now resell that and make money. So I think the the underlying premise of NFTs is here to stay. It represents a fundamental shift in the digital economy and how a lot of things are going to to take place in that world. But in the short term, you know, I think a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money buying dumb shit.
0: <laughs> yeah and that's classic with the infinite objects what i'm confused on is okay so you get this thing it's delivered to your house what then happens if you go and sell that nba top shop moment because then like technically it lives on your screen do you then like have to find who that person is and ship it to them no so look there there are obviously things that you have to think about like today you could put
1: anything you want on an infinite object it's essentially like a digital photo frame you could just flash any video from anywhere onto one and you'd have it in your home however the thing to remember is the value of this entire thing is in the nft so the value of an nba top shot is in the nft that's backing it so even if i owned a lebron top shot and i bought an infinite object with it on it when i if i were to now sell that lebron top shot to somebody else I can still have this video that runs on my infinite object at home but it has no value anymore because I no longer own the original rights to it and so there's nothing that I could do with it. Nobody in their right mind would even buy that from me like maybe they'd buy it for a hundred bucks but they're not going to pay the two million dollars that somebody might actually be willing to pay for the original NBA top shot of LeBron dunking. So ultimately this is just a way to display it the original still lives on the blockchain and when i sell it that transfer has been made so you know do we say to people well if you no longer own it we're gonna unflash it from your infinite object remotely because you're you're no longer allowed to view it no i don't think so i think it's fair game if you owned it at one point we have no problem with you continuing to to kind of own a copy of it on your on your um infinite object But the value in it has now been transferred to some new owner who is also, you know, completely within his right to now go and 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 create his own infinite object with that uh, with that top shot moment on it.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. It's like it's the classic uh, Mona Lisa argument, right? At that point, it basically just turns into a copy of the Mona Lisa that you have on your wall that, you know, you're like, I don't own it, but I I guess I really like this. This art um, is what that sort of turns into.
1: That's exactly right. it almost gives you like a little sense of you know if, if so i i'd put it this way like i had the the uh, infinite objects guys make me a sample top shot uh infinite object obviously because you know we're we're in conversations with the league and with top shot about it and and so they made me a, a sample where there was a lebron video on the on a moment a lebron moment on the actual infinite object and on the back we had this custom made back uh, panel that showed all the NFT information had a QR code and all that stuff, right? And so, you know, I I now have this in my home, but I kind of feel a little dirty about it because I'm like, I don't actually own the LeBron James moment that we put on this thing. It's a two hundred thousand hmm. dollar moment, and I don't own it. So I I kind of feel a little bit like a fraud, even though you know this is just a sample. But I just don't feel very good about it, and so I think that. When I think what's going to happen with collectors is when they own a moment, they're going to buy this thing and they'll have it. But then if they ever sell that moment, I think psychologically they'll be like, ah, it's cool that I have this, but I don't really, I'm not going to display it or anything. Because someone's going to then be like, hey, do you own that moment? And the reality is, no, I don't own that moment. I just have a copy of it. And so it's sort of like buying a fake watch, right? Yeah, you know, nobody else might know, but you know that you're wearing a fake watch and it makes you feel dirty. Uh, and, and so you don't want to do it. And, and so I sort of see the same uh, the same thing happening with, with NFTs and digital art where people aren't going to just be displaying stuff they don't own because you're, it kind of makes you a fraud for doing it.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that. I'm curious what other NFT projects you're seeing take advantage of sports, the fandom behind sports. What are some interesting or creative projects that people are working on that are succeeding right now?
1: Well, there's a company right now that is creating virtual horses and okay. you can now you can they're essentially minting horses on the blockchain. These are virtual horses that have a number of characteristics, there's a bloodline, you can mate the horses, you can do all the things that you would do with real horses in the real world, but you're doing them in a virtual environment, and then these horses run virtual races, and if your horse wins a race, you win money, and then there's people who can bet on these virtual horses. There's a perfect example of NFTs entering the sports realm in a way nobody would have thought was possible. You know, even even three months ago, I would have thought that this is a, that was an insane idea, but here we are and people are now out there spending tens of thousands of dollars buying virtual ponies to put
0: into horse races. Coming to Rally Road soon. You can buy a fractional <laughs> share of a digital horse. <laughs> That's not true, but honestly, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me. I mean, we know that these things are gonna trickle onto Rally, Collectible, Otis soon. I mean, it's just a matter of time until these digital collectibles are just, you know, they're just collectibles at the end of the day. Yep. I think lastly, I'll, I'll end it with this. You originally, in the beginning, talked about StockX and how you guys were early investors in them. I think it's interesting that StockX really started this movement, right? When it comes to investing in things of culture and collectibles, grails. And at least in the Twitterverse that you and I exist in, it seems like they're no longer at the forefront of this conversation with alternative investors. And that seems like a bit of a missed opportunity. How do they get back to the forefront of this space?
1: No, I think, I think they need to take a, a hard look at what's going on in the NFT space, in the fractional space. I think they need to look the, the Dan Gilbert's original vision when he came up with StockX. um, several years ago i mean he talked to me about this concept before probably two years before they even raised their first round of funding and and started to, to build a prototype and and his vision for this thing was always to be a stock market for things in the true sense of a stock market right and i today i look at rally road otis and collectible and i'd say and dibs even i'd say those things are closer to a stock market for things than StockX ever has been, because StockX is still about buying the physical item, taking custody of it. You got to ship it back and forth. You got to deal with authenticity. You've Got to deal with all of that. And listen, it's still a monster business, just an absolute beast of a company that has crushed it without actually becoming the stock market of things. They're just a really cool marketplace, is what they are. Um, and and so I I think that the opportunity that that they now have is they've got all this money they've got a massive audience they know where all the inventory lies because they've been selling it and i think that you now become you you now start to dabble in do we want to become an nft marketplace because we already have so many users and they're buying these things and they're buying them not to own in many cases but to resell and so do we just open up our own NFT marketplace? I think that's one path for them to go down. Uh, another path could legitimately be to, uh, to get into the fractional game and, and actually have a, a way on StockX where if you don't wanna buy an entire item, you can still buy a fractional portion of an item. I could see them getting into sort of vaulting items on behalf of their customers, and then allowing them to get partial liquidity right so if i'm a dealer if i'm a sneaker dealer who is sitting on a million dollars in in sneakers and i'm a 16 year old kid i don't really have that much cash flow like i have i sort of have to keep selling in order to cover my credit card payment right that's what most of these kids do they're they're buying and then they're selling immediately and they're making 10%, 15%, 20% returns, and they're recycling that cash to go buy the next pair of shoes. Instead, what if there was a way where StockX is holding all your inventory as collateral, and they're now allowing you to essentially have a revolving line of credit that allows you to go out and make more purchases knowing full well that in the event of a default, right. they've got your sneakers and they can, they can, they can sell them all and, and they can sell them on their own platform. And and they they're you know, it's so easy for them. So like I think there's so many ways for this business to go with the uh with, with, with sort of the brand recognition and the the access to inventory and customers that they have. I'm I'm excited for what the public markets can can bring for a company like this.
0: Anything anything else before we go that you want to be able to uh to shout out that you're passionate about, that you see coming down the pipe?
1: Yeah, we've got we've got a bunch of investments in the space that uh, we haven't announced yet. So I'm you know I'm I'm super excited about what that means, um, and yeah, I'm I'm just I'm amped up, man. I think this is this is sort of those one of those once in a lifetime moments where you, the the combination of COVID and a moment in time and technologies and change in consumer behavior sort of all come together. And you catch lightning in a bottle, like that's what's going on right now. I think in the collectible space, and so it's it's just super exciting to uh, to kind of be at the center of it.
0: So I'm uh, I'm I'm as excited as I've ever been. For the lawyers in the back, a quick disclaimer. You understand that by listening to this podcast, you are not receiving financial advice. No content published here constitutes a recommendation that any particular security, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. You alone are solely responsible for determining whether an investment security or strategy or any other product or service is appropriate or suitable for you based on your investment objectives and personal financial situation. Please speak with a financial advisor to understand if the risks inherent